Well, hallelujah. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And I know a lot of people struggle with that, saying, well, you sure are mighty exclusive. Well, Jesus himself said, quoting Jesus' own words, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. There is no other way. As we continue our study through the life of David, we're going to come to a time in his life where many of us struggle with. And for David, um, it was a time of refreshing, but it was also a time of difficulty. As David takes the throne, there are several things that are going to lead up to him taking the throne. And a lot of those things can be a little difficult. David's approximately 30 years old. As he comes to the throne, you can find that in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse number 4. And so David was approximately 30 years old. Now, from the time that he was actually anointed to be the next king over Israel, is all of these years have transpired, and it brings David to a place. And it was a considerable amount of time from the time that David was actually anointed until David takes the throne. And oh, by the way, David takes what we refer to as an intermediary throne. It is in Hebron. It is not in Jerusalem. And so David is going to be in Hebron for about seven and a half years as he will, as he will rule from Hebron before making his way on into Jerusalem. Because one of the things I want you to understand is Jerusalem right now, one of the Canaanite cities does not belong right now to them. And so David uh, is going to have to also take the city of Jerusalem when he takes the throne in the city of Jerusalem. And so there's a lot of things. I mean, let, me, let me share something with you. There's a lot of dynamics going on here. Now, the only thing is, and the, the thing that I want you to consider and think about this morning is imagine being David. You were anointed. You were given a promise. And we looked at this kind of last Sunday morning. And, and some of the action that David took was not... It, it was, it, it was not um, where we thought or we, where we would think David should have been. As a matter of fact, David had been promised that he would become the next king in Israel. But David didn't live his life that way as we come to the end of 1 Samuel. As a matter of fact, he entered into an agreement with Achish. And a matter of fact, he took a town called Ziklag. And all of the difficulties that David experienced in doing all of that. And, and now, after all of that episode is over... We come to 2 Samuel chapter number 2, but before we get there, I want you to consider something with me. I want to kind of give you a precursor. I want you to go to Psalm chapter 78. 
And I want you to notice in one of the Psalms that it is given to us concerning David. Now, what all has David been through? David had seen blessing. He had seen difficulty, running and hiding for his life. And the list goes on for David. I will tell you, it was, not a, it was not a stroll in the park for David at all from the time that he was anointed to be the next king over Israel until he finally takes the throne. There's a lot of, there's a lot of turmoil. There, there's a lot of difficulty. Matter of fact, here's what it would begin to get you to do. Matter of fact, you would probably, if we were in David's shoes, and please listen to me, I hear people say this all the time, well, if I'd have been David, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have lived my life based on the promise that God gave to me. Really? Let me tell you something. We often do this. We, we, give, we, give David a, we give David a hard time. Let me tell you why we give David a hard time. Because we already know the rest of the story. And I want you to understand something. David didn't know the rest of the story. David is going based upon what God had told him. And then as several years go by, you find yourself sometimes... You know God's leading you somewhere. You know God's calling you to something. And you're trying to be as patient as you can. But it's in that time of patience, it's in that time of waiting, that we as humans can become very frustrated. And the reason being is because we don't feel like it's quite meeting up to our expectation. In other words, in all of our daily planners that we have, in all of our long-range forecasts, and all of our long-range calendars, here's what happens. It doesn't, quite, it doesn't quite line up with our schedule of events. And so here's what happens. Sometimes we kind of begin to lose sight of the end goal. And we get more concentrated with where we are than what's yet to come. That's where David is. But notice Psalm 78 Beginning in verse number 70, it is interesting as you read these verses, Psalm chapter 78, beginning in verse number 70. This is just, this is a good time and a place to reflect on a brief commentary provided by the scripture for us of David. And I want you to notice what it says. He also chose David, his servant, God chose him and took him from the sheepfolds. From the care of the ewes with suckling lambs, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. If you don't see anything else, please underline that. Even in all of the difficulties of David's life, in all of the bad decisions that David may have made, Every time, do not lose sight of this, it's the integrity of David's heart. Because each time you will see David makes his way back to God. Sometimes we get so hung up that we think, you know, in David's life, how in the world could David have done this? With Achish. How in the world could David have done this with Ziklag? How in the world could David have been in the middle of this with Nabal? How in the world could David have been in the middle? He knew God was leading him. How could he do that? I'll tell you what it's called. It's called the flesh. And every one of us in this building, 
in our own lives. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been saved. So often in our own lives, we can find ourselves in the same place where flesh gets in the way. Because we, listen, we've already got this mindset of the way it's supposed to be. And when it doesn't work out that way, guess what? We have our own little pity parties. Anybody in here ever have a pity party? Why me, Lord? I think somebody wrote a song entitled, Why Me, Lord? Didn't they? What have I ever done to deserve even one? Huh? But see, we, we all visit there. We all, we all go there in our lives. In the end of verse 72, and he guided them with his skillful hands. That's who David was. Let's go back to 2 Samuel, chapter number 2. And let's look at what transitions now. And I have three things that I want to share with you this morning out of this passage of Scripture. Several passages. I hope you have your Bible because you're going to need them. Because we're going to go on a journey today. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads together with me and let's pray uh, as as we get into his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the way that it speaks to our hearts. And so, Father, my prayer this morning is that your word would accomplish in our hearts what you intend for it to. And, Father, may we be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit go before us now, prepare the way for us. And, Father, speak to our hearts as only you can, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 2. Verse 1 through verse 7, if there is ever a right time to reflect on a brief or the demands, the moment that's following is right now. If, if, If David could have demanded anything, I believe it is right now. Because as he masses all of these, all of these around him, Could David have stood up at this point in time and demanded certain things? Could have. But he didn't. 2 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. I want you to notice what it says. And please note, David didn't demand this following. It came. Verse 1, notice the words. Then it came about afterwards that David inquired of the Lord. I want you to notice the change right off the bat. Before David makes another move, what is the first thing that he does? He inquires of the Lord. Unlike what he's just come through to this point, we do find at the end of 1 Samuel and the episode in Ziklag that David did begin to seek the Lord. You come to chapter 2 and we find right off the bat in the testimony, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, 
where shall I go up? You notice, he said, is it, is it time for me to go up? Yeah, it's time for you to go up. Well, guess what? He didn't just assume anything. Next, notice the next question. Well, where do you want me to go? Do you, do you, do you see how very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was just there, <laughs> and it's gone. Uh, Verse 2. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That was going to be such a profound statement, okay? And it's gone, all right? It is, it is, it is gone. Verse 2. Somebody said it comes with your age. Well, I had things like that happen to me before this age. Any of y'all? Huh? Sure. Verse 2. So guess what David does? David goes up to Hebron, not to Jerusalem, he goes to Hebron. And his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. And David brought up his men who were with him, and each with his household, and they lived in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there anointed David king over the house of Judah. I want you to notice something. David didn't go demand that they come. Guess what? They all gathered around him, and guess what they did? They anointed him king in Hebron. The people did. And they told David, saying, It was the men of Gabesh Gilead who buried Saul. And so David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed of the Lord because you have shown this kindness to Saul your Lord and have buried him. In other words, the very one that David ran from year after year for his own life, notice the words that David has for Saul. You've done the right thing. You've done the good thing. Matter of fact, you've buried Saul. In other words, you have treated Saul with kindness and you've buried him in the appropriate manner. Verse 6, now may the Lord show loving kindness and truth to you. And I also will show this goodness to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant. For Saul your Lord is dead and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. You see at this point David stops and he waits on God for further instructions. So what does that mean for us? Point number one, at some point in time in our lives, we have to learn to wait patiently on God. That is the most difficult, I will tell you, for believers, that is the most difficult thing you will do, is to wait patiently on God. Is it important to wait? It is. Because it's when we do not wait on God and the moving of God that we can find ourselves in the wrong place. And matter of fact, sometimes in God's own permissive will, he will allow us to run down a path, to run down a track, and we'll get down there and we'll wish we would have what? Waited. And we find ourselves in a very difficult place. So what he, the question then becomes this, why is it so important to wait on God? Well, let me show you some things as the reason why. Turn with me to Psalm 27. We're going to run a lot of scripture here. So please keep your Bible pages flowing. 
Or if you have a device, keep those swipes fluid. Psalm 27 and verse 14. From the psalmist, as it reflects on this waiting, one of the things that you're going to see as we take this journey is this over and over again about waiting on the Lord. Verse 14, Psalm 24, or Psalm 27, Psalm 27, verse 14. Notice it says, wait for the Lord. Just wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. It's not a time of drawing back. It's a time of strength. It's a time of courage. Why? Because we're waiting on the Lord. And then notice the emphasis given again at the end of verse 14. Yes, wait for who? Wait for the Lord. Flip over to chapter 33. Psalm chapter 33. And notice verse 20. Psalm chapter 33 and verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. But you notice verse 20, the beginning of it, our soul waits for the Lord. Flip over to chapter 37. Chapter 37. So we got another word that's going to be added here in, in this waiting on the Lord because it's going to tell us how we should wait for him. Psalm chapter 37 in verse 7. Notice what it says. Rest in the Lord and wait how? Say that one more time. Say it a little louder. Yeah. Wait patiently for him. I know nobody in here ever frets. Fretting is not a part of who we are, is it? Notice what the psalmist says, do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. How many have fret over that? There's no need to. When we're waiting on the Lord and we wait, there's no need to fret over all of that. We need to concentrate with where we are. Our strength, our courage, our hope is found in who? It's found in God, not in all of those things. But I'll say this to you. How easy it is for us to get our attention diverted that way. And before long, here's what begins to happen. We get our eyes on everything else going on around us horizontally, and we miss out on the most important one, and that's the vertical one. It's the vertical relationship with God. Let me tell you something. When your vertical relationship with God is where it should be, your horizontal then will be what it should be. Why? Because we find our rest and our hope in Him. Not in everything else that's going around us. Are people fretting today? Unlike anything I've ever seen. Are people more anxious today? They are. 
Matter of fact, has the suicide rates continued to increase and, and climb? Yes. And let me tell you on what age group. It's in, it's in, that, it's in that age span between 12 years old and 13 years old up until you reach into your 30s and 40s. And here just recently, I understand, we just had another one that I, heard, that I, that I learned about this past week. Why? If we're not careful, if we're not careful, even as, even as believers, and I hear people say this all the time, well, you know, look at the world around us. Look at culture around us. My dear friend, let me tell you what needs to happen today. We need to have a redirecting of our attention. Understanding and realizing that what we're watching going around us is something that is temporary. It is not something that is eternal. Flip over to chapter 40 of Psalm and look at verse number 1. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps, what, firm. Making them firm. And look at verse 3. I love verse 3. See, don't, don't skip verse 3. And guess what else he's done? He put a new song in my mouth. A song of what? Praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will what? Trust in the Lord. Well, keep going. Go to chapter 130. Chapter 130. Psalm 130. So, <laughs> Psalm 130, 130, and verse number 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait. And in his word, in what? In his word do I what? I hope. It's kind of hard to hope in something that you don't know what it says. You have to spend time in the Word of God. Where do we find our comfort? Where do we find our rest in the Word of God? Look at verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. The watchman that was set out to watch, to be on guard. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman of the morning. How focused are we on waiting for the Lord? Go to Lamentations. Yes, it's in the Old Testament, just past Jeremiah. The Lamentations of Jeremiah, chapter number 3. Lamentations, chapter 3. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. And notice what it says. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. 
The Lord is good to those who do what? Wait for him. To the person who what? Who seeks him. Do you seek him? Do you wait patiently for him? Do you seek him with all of your heart? Let me say something to you this morning. It appears at this moment that David has learned some pretty significant lessons. Let's go back to 2 Samuel and let's go to chapter number 5. After more than 20 years now, the long period of waiting was over. All the way back from 1 Samuel 16 when David was initially anointed by Samuel. He's been anointed in Hebron by the people. And now they're going to make their way on to Jerusalem. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, And King David made a covenant with him before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. And David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all of Israel and Judah. Now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. You see, Jerusalem was still under the control of the Jebusites. And so in order for the throne to be set and established in Jerusalem, a battle was going to have to ensue between Israel and the Jebusites. The inhabitants of the land, verse 6, and they said to David, You shall not come in here. But the blind and the lame will turn you away, thinking David can. In other words, they said, matter of fact, our lame and our blind are going to keep you from coming. Verse 7, nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David, or Jerusalem. So David takes Jerusalem, and David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul through the water tunnel. Therefore, they say, the blind or the lame shall not come into the house. And so David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stonemasons. And they built a house for David. And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Please do not miss verse 12. The impact of verse 12, where David now has come to, David now fully understands and he fully comprehends now that God has now 
established him as king over Israel and that his kingdom has been exalted for the sake of his people Israel. And so now that comes home to David. It is through the spiritual discipline of waiting that we learn to rely on God and accept his timing. It's through the spiritual discipline of waiting the most difficult things that we do. When we spend time in spiritual discipline, such as meditating on the Word of God and waiting on God as it speaks to our hearts, the spiritual discipline of finding time, seeking the Lord, to get away with the Lord, to search out all of the things of the Lord. You go down through the spiritual disciplines, and as we, as we look at them, the spiritual discipline of waiting we learn to rely on God and accept His timing. Did you know one of the most difficult things sometimes is to accept God's timing? But let me say something to you this morning. I don't want to use a cliche verbiage here, okay? But I can say this to you this morning. When God shows up, it's always the right time. It's always the right time. Regardless of where we may find ourselves. So it brings me to point number two. Waiting is not about what we get at the end. Waiting is not about what we get at the end. It's about what we become as we wait. You see it in David. It was, a, it was what David became. During that waiting, let me tell you why. Because God was working in David's life and in David's heart. Sometimes for us, the most difficult thing is, is while we're waiting, not yet understanding completely or fully what it is that God may have us or have for us at the end, but not having the end as that priority of this waiting period. But through this waiting period, God, teach me whatever it is I need to know. What our desire should be is what we become as we wait. Do we get closer to God during the waiting period? Or do we move away from God during the waiting period? Do we seek Him even more diligently during the waiting period? Or do we move away from Him during the waiting period? See, it's not about what we get at the end because here's where most of our focus is. Our focus is on what can I get out of God at the end of this thing that is temporal. We lose sight of that that is eternal. Eternal. Let me ask you a question. What are you living for each day? Eternal or temporal? Why do we struggle so much? Let me tell you why. Because this world has its hooks in us. And sometimes our attention gets focused in the wrong direction. And we lose sight of the reason that we're here. The purpose of living and moving through this life is something that is far greater than what you can see. It is something that is yet eternal. Not made with hands. It's what God has for us. You know, periods of prosperity and ease in our lives can become times of great difficulty spiritually. 
Because here's what it does. We begin to rely more in ourselves than we do in God. Here again, be careful. Every one of us in this building, the last time I checked, yeah, it hurts when you pinch yourself. So we're human. But how many of us so often find ourselves in that same place? I'm good. Well, let me ask you a question. What if all of a sudden you go to bed tonight and you wake up tomorrow morning and your world is turned completely upside down? A lot of people say, that'll never happen. I live in the United States of America. <laughs> oh, yeah. Huh? Really? You do. Huh? As we consider, as we consider where we are. Temporal versus eternal. Waiting is not about what we get at the end. It's all about what we become as we wait. Number three. Waiting is a calling to holy activity. Activity with eternal consequence. That's what this waiting is about. What do you mean, Brother Robert? Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Why was it that Paul, in writing his letter to Timothy, was able to share these words? You know, I shared, this, I, shared this, I shared this last Sunday morning when my dad was coming to the end of his, to the, end of his the moments that he had physically on this earth. And, and that, phrase is, has, that phrase is forever etched in my mind. And matter of fact, I, I, can, I, can, I can see it just as if it were yesterday. And matter of fact, that's when I held him by his hand and the last conversation that I remember him and I having before he he passed on to eternity to the Lord's presence I remember what he told me he said you know he'd finished a big old bowl of watermelon but he'd come down to those last hours and it's almost like God had just given him just kind of this extra dose of energy and I remember him saying, he said, you know, Robert, he said, I told you, I win either way. So is, is, that the way we, is that the way we live life every day? Waiting is a calling to holy activity, activity with eternal consequence. Why was it that Paul was able to write this to Timothy? And I want you to notice what Paul wrote. So often, we, you know, we talk about this. Well, this is that great charge that Paul gave to Timothy. I want you to, to kind of divorce it from the charge to Timothy, and I want us to look at the heart of Paul. How was it that Paul was able to say this? Well, look at verse 7 and verse 8. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. 
whether he was in prison, whether he was inside of a city sharing the gospel, whether he was in the synagogue, regardless of where Paul was, even in the times of prison, Paul said, I have fought the good fight. Notice what else he said. I finished the course. He said, I've kept the faith. Even in difficult times, even when he was drug outside of a city and they attempted to stone him to death, and Paul got up and shook himself off and looked at those around him and said, come on, guys, we're going back in for some more. What drove Paul? What was the motivation behind Paul? Let me share something with you, please. The same motivation that Paul had in his heart and life ought to be the same motivation that you and I have today because it had eternal consequence. What was it? It was the gospel. It was the gospel. Matter of fact, notice what else Paul says in verse 8. In the future, looking towards the future. So many of us today, we get hung up in the present, sometimes the past, but more often than not, we get hung up in the, in the present, and sometimes we can't look past that present and look to the future. But if you're a believer today, let me share something with you. De- listen, get your eyes off of being fixed on the present and start looking at the future. Notice what Paul said. He said, In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Do you see that? Are you looking forward to his appearing? Are you looking for him to return? I trust that you are. I am. We need to be busy about what we've been called to do. So therefore, this waiting, while we're waiting on a specific direction from God, is not a time for us to become passive. It's a time for us to become active. Doing what? Sharing the gospel wherever we're planted. Wherever we're planted. My friend, please listen to me. Can you still do it where you're planted? Yes. Waiting and anticipating something that's coming future? Yes. Be active where you're planted. Flip over to Titus. Paul uh, Paul writing to Titus. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God, chapter 2 of Titus, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory and of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people For his own possession, zealous for good deeds. You know, this waiting this morning, just to kind of summarize and bring everything together, this waiting indicates that the Christian life is one of patient endurance. Endurance, patient endurance, no matter the circumstances. Now, I'm going to tell you something. That's a tough pill sometimes to swallow. Well, I don't like being here. 
I don't like this place. Don't ever tell God you're not going to go someplace. <laughs> Please don't do that because I'm, a, I'm standing in front of you today as a testimony to that. Never tell God you won't go someplace. And I've shared this before. I remember driving across the Atchafalaya Basin, 18-mile bridge. That tells me there's a whole lot of water around this place. Alligators, spiders, you know them big ones that you see when you're out in the woods? Snakes, lizards. You come out the back door of your house, they're everywhere. You know, these little, the little geckos and the, the green ones that get, can get about that big, okay? I have a pet one at the house. He's, he's about that big, okay? He's outside. No, I don't feed him. <laughs> I never will forget. We were riding across the Chafalaya. I said, why would anybody ever live in this state? Matter of fact, we were on our way to Texas. Why in the world would anybody ever live in this state? I would never live in a place like this. <laughs> well, in February, we'll have been here 12 years. <laughs> Let me tell you something about Louisiana. I love it, okay? The people, the food, okay? Do we get a little water every once in a while? Couldn't tell it by the last three months, could you? Huh? This waiting indicates that the Christian life is one of patient endurance, no matter the circumstances. Let me tell you something. You can be happy wherever God plants you. Why? Because your happiness and joy is found in him, not in the place. Believers endure because they have hope. And let me share something with you. My hope is eternal, not temporal. You see, the living of the Christian life is in the context of waiting. The present is all, no, watch this. The present is always related to the future. The present is always related to the future. And let me finish with this. David became greater and greater. And the key to his success is that for the Lord of hosts was with him. David waited for him. David sought him. David followed after him with his heart. So what about us? Let me ask you a question. Is God with you today? Is he with you today? Are you living life on your own? Are you driving this are you driving this train yourself? Or is God driving it for you? Let me tell you something. In the world that we live in today, you don't want to drive it on your own. Because what's going to happen is you'll wind up with a train wreck.